Our loving and merciful Lord Jesus, we thank you. We love you for being so good to us. And being so good just in your person. And so, Lord, I pray that today you would take us deep into that goodness. And you know the hearts of all of us. You know what we carry in here. And if there's anyone who's struggling, because even we who are Jesus followers, we struggle sometimes with the reality that you won't let us down. And Lord, I just pray that you would take us deep into the fact that that is true, that you will never let us down. And for all of us, may the May the goodness of our lives and the blessing of our lives be so impressed upon us today of all of our lives, all that you've given, as evidence that you're here and at work and that our lives make a difference because we're here and that you put us in this place, in this town, in this church, in this family for your good purposes. We thank you for your goodness, Lord Jesus. We love you. Teach us what you want us to know today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Maybe seated. I want to add my voice to uh, thank you to the veterans. Thank you for standing up, those of you who did, and thank you for all of you who are part of veteran, uh, who, who have uh, served uh, on our behalf and for protecting us. I mean, for giving us our freedoms. I know sometimes it doesn't feel like you're appreciated. Sometimes it doesn't feel like there's a direct link. But there is a direct link because you participated in what has protected our country and so forth. And and all the freedoms that we have, like one of my favorites is this right here, okay? I love this freedom to be able to worship and to come together and to gather together like this. And, and I hope you do too. And I just want to say thank you to all of you. Uh, you know, let me kind of take you on the inside here. We try to do messages here that are what we would call standalone. And what I mean by that is if we have new people here or we have guests here, which we always do, or we have people checking us out or checking out the claims of Christ, maybe you don't even know what you think about Jesus and the gospel and, and God and all that kind of stuff yet. Uh, that's good because you're, you're in a good place. We're so thankful you're here. But, but we don't want to, we, we, we try not to do messages where you're kind of lost for the first 15 minutes because you haven't been here for the previous five messages. However, this is one of those series, one of those topics where they kind of build on one another, uh, this uh, uh, His Resilient People uh, series. And uh, so I just want to call out one thing I had uh, said at the end, and that is, I told you about the story about how I was standing or uh, sitting in my car at the stoplight at the end of Audi Road on the way to Home Depot looking out over the city of Portland, and that I was playing a Christmas music, I was playing a Christmas song, okay, I, I don't know if I started it, there's a lot of Christmas talk today. I don't think I started it this early. Okay, sorry if it's really bugging you. But it was a Christmas song, a good one, by Michael W. Smith. And all of a sudden, I'm looking over Portland. The words just come swinging in as God descends on earth in the nativity. Son of God, son of man, all in all around I see. That God is all around and that he's working in us. And the reason I bring that up again is not only because it's important for where we're going today, but because it's so important after having a wacky week. Some of us have had wacky weeks, you know, probably many of us, whether it be, you know, uh, in terms of things going on and you've seen in the news or whether it be in your personal life or whatever, but there's just been some, 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 some stretching this week, it just seems. And so I want to acknowledge that God, that God is still on the throne. I talked to him this morning. He's still there. And God still, uh, you know, is, is in all in all I see, in all in all you see. And he's at work in our church, and I'm hoping we can kind of pull that out and see that out, and he's at work in your life. And, and the thing is, you see, Christians, particularly in this post-Christian age, we, going forward, have got to, got to, got to understand that the most significant things on the planet, with all the other important things, all the important things, the elections, uh, the going to work and doing a good job, and friendships, and all that, all those important things, the most important things that happen on the planet are by God's design the things that happen in families and churches and marriages and relationships where people are touched by Jesus. That's where the most important stuff happens. Okay, so that, that's important to keep in mind going forward. I had a, had a uh, history professor who was, uh, he gave me A's. So he was an easy A, which is why I became a history major. But um, he, he used to say as we went, when left class, he said, remember class, and he was not a Christian. Remember class. This was back when they had newspapers. Think about that. That was a long time ago. He said, remember, don't read the front page and believe everything you see. 
He says, because what really changes the world is on page 17. <laughs> and I think that's a good thing for Christians to remember. It's not what happens on the front page or what you hear in the news. It's what happens in the book of 1 Timothy, back there in the New Testament or whatever, right? And, and, and that's, that's really important because today our objective is to, to say this and to, to, to communicate this, that every single person that walks into East Ridge Church, every single person that is a part of our relationship sphere, that every single person that God brings into that has the potential and the possibility and the, the opportunity to serve Jesus Christ and therefore make a difference. That's the thing. That's what we want to communicate today. Because, you see, the Bible has this thing. When it talks about or this word, when it talks about who we are and all that we are, okay? And it says that we are stewards of our lives. We're stewards of our gifts, talents, yes, our treasure. We're, 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 we're uh, uh, stewards of our time. We're stewards of our personality. We're stewards of the place that God has placed us, all of that kind of stuff, okay? So we're stewards. And that's, that's kind of a weird word. We're going to try to explain it a little bit today, but I, I wanted to bring it up because that's how Jesus talks about it in a couple of parables. We don't use the word steward so much anymore, you know, except like the steward of Gondor and the Lord of the Rings or, uh, you know, you go on a cruise and there's a ship steward there. But, but stewardship just simply means you're managing, you're, 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 you're doing the work of the person for whom owns the stuff that you have, have and that you're, you're, you're caring for, okay? That's what it means. And here's the thing about Eastridge Church. We believe the stuff the Bible says about us. We believe that God wants to make a difference because the Bible says it through us, through the Spirit in our midst and through our lives and through our lives together, that he wants to make a difference through us. And so that's why I'm just going to kind of pull back here and start with a couple of things that make us doubt that that make us doubt whether or not we can really make a difference. Two thoughts in, in our modern era that are actually addressed by the two scripture passages that we are focusing on on these four, this four-week series of His Resilient People. The first one is 2 Corinthians 4, which is, is the um, uh, sort of the resilient people dis, uh, passage, and I read it to you at the end of last week. I read like verses 7 uh, to uh, 11, I think it was, 13. And, and so, so, so we're, I'm, I'm going to mention that, but then First Timothy, which we went through last week, and we're going to go through a piece of it t- t- today, too. First Timothy chapter 6, which talks about how God has blessed us and, and, and what we should do about it, okay? And so, so but the two, the two things that can cause us to forget that God can make a difference in our lives are these. First of all, 2 Corinthians uh, 4, verse 7. Here's what it says. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. Okay, i got to define this right now. You know what this treasure is? The treasure he's talking about is not money, it's you. You and your life. You have this blessing of God that is you. You may not feel like it all the time, but you, have a, you are a, a blessed being. You are a master creation. We'll look at that next week. You are a treasure. And the thing is, it's in jar of clay, made out of dirt. Right? Ever since Adam, he was made out of dirt. We're made out of dirt. Right? And, and so, but Paul says here, he says, you have this treasure in jars of clay, but there's a reason for it. It's to show that the all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. You see, he's saying, don't be discouraged because, because, because here's, the, here's the first um, sort of untruth that we think. We think, I'm too weak. I'm too small. I'm too weak to make a difference with God. There's nothing really weaker than dirt, is there? And there's a principle, and it's strong in 2 Corinthians, but it's all through the New Testament. The principle is this, is this teaching. The greater the weakness of the material, the stronger and more powerful the work of God when it's put in his hands. The stronger and more powerful. That, that's a principle. The weaker, you may feel the, it's like, congratulations, because you get to be used by God if you just put yourself in his hands. We see this in Jesus, too. Remember, uh, Jesus was standing by the temple one day, and he was watching people put their offering in the offering box, and probably the offering box was made out of metal. And, you know, people, rich people were going, clang, and throwing their coins in there because they had a lot of coins in those days, and clang, 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 clang. And then all of a sudden, along comes a woman who's kind of poor and kind of destitute, and she puts in one of these. This is called a mite, okay? 
which was, was like a penny or even less in those days. This, I'm pretty sure this isn't the one she put in the offering box because it's like from a couple of decades later, but today it's worth like 90 bucks. So, but anyway, um, <clears throat> but she, she put just two coins in there. And after, you know, I imagine, this, the scripture doesn't say this, but I imagine people were kind of snickering, you know, clang, 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 tee, right? And Jesus goes, no, 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 no. That's not, nothing funny about that. In fact, let me tell you something. She gave more than all the rest because she put in all that she had. Now, we don't like to unpack that story that much because we think that means that we're supposed to open our checkbooks and empty our bank accounts every time we go to church, and that's not what it's saying. He's saying that if she had had, you know, 2,000 denarii or whatever, she would have given a portion of it that represented her whole life, but she, all she could do, and she really wanted to give her whole life to God, so she gave the two little mites that she had left. Weakness turned to strength and look at this, we're still talking about her today. Weakness turns to something powerful that speaks to our lives and makes a huge difference, even now in 2018. The second thing that we tend to believe is that we don't have enough money. That we don't have enough money to make a difference. And Paul talks about this toward the end of the passage in 1 Timothy 6 that we looked at last week. Verse 10, look at what he says. This is very interesting. I'm going to tell you something interesting I didn't say last week. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Okay. It's a root of all kinds of evil. See, the thing is, is when Timothy read this for the first time, and maybe he shared this letter with his church, people would not have been surprised at this. Because there was a statement, there was a principle, there was an idea floating around the Roman Empire at the time that was very similar to this. Even, you know, people who are anti-Christian, even Jewish people, even other, you know, religious people of the Roman pantheon, all of those people, all, everybody would agree with this principle. And the principle went like this. The love of money is the mother city of all evil. Now, Paul changes it. He says it's not the mother city. It's the root. It's the beginning. And secondly, it's not all evil. Satan's the author of all evil. But... It's, it's the start of all kinds of evil. And it, he's talking about personal evil that we fall into, the problems that we fall into. He's talking about that. And so he, he changes it a little bit, but basically it's the same principle. And you can kind of see how people <clears throat> today, we, we do the same kind of thing. What do we say when we have a controversy or somebody gets hurt or somebody does a big lie or somebody you know, puts this uh, scam up or something? What do we say? Follow the money, Right? Because we, you know, atheists, secularists, everybody knows that this is true. It can be a trap. It can really screw things up if you fall in love with money. Everybody knows that that's true. See, here, the reason I'm going on about this and the reason Paul says this, I think, is because he wants us to know that, you know, the one who is the source of evil, Satan, okay, he wants us to know that he lies and his biggest lie about your money is that it's all about everything in your life, that it's really much bigger than it really is, that it's a bigger, bigger deal than it really is. I, 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 you know, think, think about this. There, there's, there's all kinds of parts of your life that, that God's asked you to steward. He's blessed you with life. He's blessed you with, with relationships. He's blessed you with time. He's blessed you, yes, with some money. He's blessed you with with. Uh, talents and skills and giftings and if you think yours are too weak remember in the hands of God they're more powerful than you think they are everybody has an opportunity to make a difference for him but the only part of that category that we struggle with the only part of that that we struggle with is is uh is our our our, our money oftentimes, because Satan makes it bigger than it really is. I mean, think about this. If God lays it on your heart to go be neighborly to your literal neighbor that lives down the street, and you say, you know what? I'm going to make some cookies, and I'm going to go get some cookies to the neighbor. So you make the cookies. You don't come to the end of making the cookies and go, yeah, but I want to eat all the cookies. You know? I worked really hard on these cookies. No, you get up, you put them on a plate, and you bring them down there. You taste them first, make sure you're not going to make them sick. But I mean, you know, I mean, that, that's what I do, not at the risk of you. But, but you know, you, you, you take them down. But why is that different than what we do with our money? You see? 
You see, Paul isn't all about the money. He doesn't want to give it a bigger picture and a bigger, a bigger deal than it actually is either. And so the next verse, in verse 11, he launches in, you can turn there, 1 Timothy 6, uh, verse 11, toward the end of your New Testament, just about that many pages left. And, and he, 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 turn, he, he talks about, for Timothy, this is how this all works out in the whole of your life, not just one little piece of it, okay? And so let, let me show you what it, what it says, because it's going to set us up for understanding how, in fact, every single one of us, by the grace of God, and you know, as we do church and do it right, that everybody can have a, a potential to make a difference. Here we go. Verse uh, 11 of 1 Timothy 6, but you, man of God... Okay, okay, I gotta stop right there. I don't want to be Captain Obvious, but this stuff applies to women of God too, okay? But here's the thing Timothy's name is Tim, which means he's a guy, which means it's a man of God. That's why he's writing a Timothy. Okay, just just to be clear, gotta be clear about everything these days. So, but you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith. Look at all these things. Your spiritual life, how you express that spiritual life and godliness, your faith, what you're believing God for, your love for God and for other people, your relationships, endurance, you know, your strength and gentleness and all of that. So he's collecting all that together. We're going to go in this more detail next week. But all of your life. And then he says three things. With all of that, I want you to fight the good fight of faith. In other words, don't fight the athletic contest. That's not what I'm talking about. He's not saying, you know, you can't be in, in the Olympics or something. You can, but uh, if you really want, well, if you can. And, um, you, you, you do, but it's, it's not about, you know, fighting physical things. He says that in another place. It's about, you know, fighting the good spiritual fight of faith. In the right, be in the right contest is what he's saying. Secondly, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. Eternal life's a quality of life that's actually a possibility that we can grab it right now. When you, were, uh, when you made the good confession, you were called when you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Now, last week we saw that Paul's whole uh, idea here, his big idea in this passage is godliness, what you do with your spiritual life, plus contentment brings great gain, great blessing on your life. Not just the money part of your life, but all of your life. Okay? It bring, brings great Gain, if you will. And so what Paul is trying to do here is he's trying to, to sort of go big, if you will. Because the reasonable question is, is well, how does, how does that all work? How does, how, how does, how, how does uh, you know, godliness, how, how does that pull me, how does stewardship pull me into contentment? How does that work? How, how, what, what happens there? Well, Paul is going big. In fact, he, what he's talking about is not big, you know, ideas. He's talking about big as in all of you and all of me. I want you to do an experiment. Put your, put your Bible down if you got it. Okay, here you go. <clears throat> go. Grab your arm right here and grab the other arm. Touch your head. Touch your nose. Wiggle your ear. Isn't it funny how I get you all to do that? That's, no, I'm just, I'm just kidding you. No, that, that's, that was bad. But... What I'm trying to tell you is, when you walk out of here, you're not walking out with just your head. Or your arm's not just flopping out the door. All of you is going with it. So when you start the, G- the journey with Jesus, when you're a part of the Jesus movement known as the family of God, the body of believers, the church of Jesus Christ, it's going somewhere. And you don't just take part of you, you take all of you. And I think that's what Paul's trying to say. It's very similar to um, <clears throat> things that he says in places like uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where he, he's talking about the body of Christ, the, the church, the, the family of God. And he says, you know, the eye can't say to the hand, we're all different parts, but the eye can't say to the hand, hey, I don't need you. And then, you know, the eyeball's rolling down the road. And he's, I think he's making a humorous comparison there. It's not even Halloween. You see this big eyeball falling down the road. You know, <clears throat> and, and, and you, he's saying... you. You would never think of that as a possibility. So go big in your thinking about giving all of God all that you are, if you will. And I think that's what he's trying to talk about. He's saying at every part, every person in the body of Christ, 
has the potential to make a big difference in the hands of God. And he's, then he says, you know, I want you to, to pray big, like we prayed big last weekend at the end. In fact, I think there's still some magnets back there. If you didn't get one, you can have one. And the praying big wasn't about things and getting big things. It was about praying for a big life. And that doesn't mean a famous life and a rich life or anything. It means a, a big life in terms of God blessing and filling it and using you for great things. We said pray big for a big church, and that doesn't mean attendance. It means the impact of life to life to life that happens through the Spirit in this church. That's what we're praying for. And that's kind of why Paul tells Timothy these three things. Take hold of eternal life. You know, fight the good fight. And oh, by the way, remember your good confession. People have debated what this means, but it's pretty clear it doesn't mean that it's, you know, when he was ordained to be the pastor of Ephesus Church, but because there was no ordination in those days. Probably it was when he began, became a Jesus follower and saying, I'm all in with you, God. And so, you know, you might say still, you know, what is this good confession thing about? What are, what are we actually confessing and, and so forth? And Paul would say, I'm glad you asked because he's going to illustrate it in the person of Jesus Christ. Look at this, verse 13. In the sight of God who gives life to everything and of Jesus Christ, or of Christ Jesus. So, and there, you need to understand this, means the same as. Means, um, you know, the one thing that's linked to the other is the same as. In other words, God is the same as Christ Jesus, okay? Now, I've butchered that sentence by stopping, so let me start back at 13. In the sight of God who gives life to everything and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, there it is again, hold that, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame. Now watch, he's going to get, the more he thinks about what he's saying, he gets so excited, he just almost goes off the planet. Here we go. To keep this command, to make the good confession, without spot or blame, until the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time, God the blessed and the only ruler, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom, I, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever and ever. Amen. It's like, woohoo! Because he's just getting so excited. What's getting him so jacked up? What's getting him so excited is in the sight of God who gives life to everything. God creates everything. He's given life to everything. What does that mean? That means he created everything. He created all of you. He gave you all the gifts, all the stuff, everything you've got. It's his in the beginning. He just hands it off to you to steward. The idea that we believe that God um, doesn't really own us or doesn't really own what we are and who we are and the stuff we have it's an illusion that he allows because he's not going to force it on us, the truth on us. But all that I am, all that you are, is already owned by him because he made everything and everyone and all the things that go with everyone. And so it's that that Jesus in part is confessing in this good confession. What did Jesus confess in front of Pilate? Remember the story he's talking about here? Pilate says, are you the king of kings and lord of lords? Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus says, it is as you say. Then a little later in John 18, he says, <clears throat> oh, uh, by the way, Pilate, I came to earth to testify to the truth, that I am who I am. In other words, he is claiming that he is God. He confessed or admitted that he is God. What do we confess or admit when we make the good confession? That he is God and we are not. But we do confess that we are all his. When we make the good confession, we say, I'm all in with you and I want to be a part of it. I can't believe you let me be a part of what you are up to in this world. And you, 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 you're all in that, that, that way. It's everybody in, all play. That's what Paul is talking. That's why he gets so excited here and so, so um, moved and, and, and that he throws this, you know, <clears throat> amen at the end. You know what the amen means? It means so be it. Or it can also mean, a similar, same thing, but you could also say it this way, like Captain Picard, make it so, okay? He's saying, make it so. You're the king of the kings and the lord of lords. What he's saying is, he's either the king of kings and the lord of the lords, or he's not. He either deserves my entire life, or he doesn't. There's no halvesies, no parts, and no eyeballs jumping out the door, none of that. 
It's all his in the first place. Like the thought and the illustration of the story came to me again this week when I was studying this passage. I played it with it around it a little bit this last week, but in the early days of the church years ago, <clears throat> uh, we were only about 40 or 50 people at that time. Look at us now. Um, and uh, I had a friend who was a part of the church. He's a good friend. I mean, I, I'd met him through the church, so it wasn't like we'd known each other a long time. But um, he would, you know, he'd share his stuff with me, like his plane. He took me out. His, well, actually, it wasn't his plane. He had a very wealthy benefactor who owned a plane, and he just used the plane. He let me go up there and do touch and goes, you know, land and go back up and land and go, ooh, that was, that was crazy. Very trusting guy. Um, but he, uh, he had this thing about him that, that everybody kind of knew. His wife kind of knew it and everybody. He always was coming up with get-rich-quick schemes. He kind of had a problem with loving money. So constantly, constantly coming up with this, and, you know, <clears throat> I'm working to build this church and so forth and so on. And he came to me one day. He says, okay, okay, I got the idea. This is the ultimate idea. I know this is going to work. This is great. This is great. He says, I'm going to do this thing. And he kind of gave me a, kind of a window view of what it is. And then he said, and I know it's going to work. And when it, be, when it makes me independently wealthy, I'm going to put all that money in the bank and let the money make the money for me so I can live off the money. I'm going to give a bunch of that wealth to the church, and then I'm going to come and join you, and we can get the church, and that's how we'll get it launched. And he said, in fact, I'm so sure of this, I want to ask you to pray about it, and I want us to do like a whole church prayer vigil that this works and makes me independently wealthy, basically. So it'll happen. You know what I said? Anybody that know me even know what I said? I'll do that when monkeys fly out my nose. No, I did not say that. I did not say that. That was before I had all the sweetness and light that I have today. Um, but I did say, hey, Rob, that's not his real name. Hey, Rob, I, uh, I'm sorry, man, but I can't do that. Because it won't be good for you. It wouldn't be good for me. It really wouldn't be good for our church. Because the Bible says that when you love money that much, you're sitting in a trap. Brother, you're sitting right in the middle of the jaws of the trap and you're having a picnic. You just don't know it because the jaws haven't slapped shut yet. And uh, I told him some principles about money from the Bible, from the New Testament. I said, I just want you to go home and read these, see if you think I'm right, see if you think they're true. And I just want you to, 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 to think about this and consider this. Because, see, he'd made all the giftings, everything. The, the tragedy was everything that he was, which was really great, he'd elevated money to the point where he, it wasn't so great anymore. It was denigrating the wonderful creation of God that was Rob. And it was starting to spread out to other people. So I said, just go home, read these scriptures, Think about this, and, uh, and I, I can't remember if he did or not, but I, I just want to take you through those same quick principles that we talk about every year and we talk about all the time, but just five principles about what you do with money and what you do with all that you are, first of all, but all, you know, if, if there's an issue where, you know, so, for so many of us, as we said with the cookie illustration, money seems to have an, a, a larger you know, pull and a larger uh, part of our view of our lives than it should in so many cases. And I just want to kind of try to put that in context because I don't want anybody in the trap. In fact, I've taken the extraordinary measure of actually printing off the, the stuff that goes on the screen. I printed off copies of it and they're in the middle table. You can take them because I want you to go home, read the scriptures and see if you think what I'm saying is true. See what, what God says in the Bible. I can only tell you what the Bible says, okay? I'm constrained not to tell you what Anything but what the Bible says. So this, give me five, let me give you these five principles. The first one has to do with um, something that we talked about last week. And uh, the question is, can you be contented without God in terms of, you know, having enough money, kind of like Rob was wanting to have, so, so have enough money to be contented? Is it possible? Well, after years of research and talking about this, you've heard me say this before, maybe if you've been here, but... But uh, really, research about this. I have learned the number that you need of uh, how much money you need in order to be contented without God's work and blessing in your life. Ready? Here it is. Put it on the screen. More than you currently have. I mean, you can be Dr. Bazillion Dollars, and you still need more to be contented. Right? That's the truth. Because it just keeps going and going and pulling and pulling and pulling. 
If you wonder about the scripture for that, just look up the, the passages we've looked at the last two weeks. Philippians chapter 4, beginning about verse 10 and all the way to the end. And then um, look at uh, 1 Timothy 6, 6 or 8 to 10. 1 Timothy 6, 8 to 10. And that's exactly the thing it says about contentment. You need God's help to have that real contentment that he, he designed and he created for you to live in. Second thing, principle is this. You is defined as more than money. Now, there's some grammatical genius in that sentence right there. I mean, that's pretty amazing. The, the reason, uh, those of you who are English teachers, your heads are exploding right now. But the, the uh, you is in quotes because it means the unit of you, if you can make yourself a you. You is defined as more than money. Your money does not define you. That's not all there is. There's so many other giftings, and, it, and, it's, and it's a denigration of God's blessing and, and purpose and, and, and giving in your life to say that money defines who I am. See, anybody can make a difference. Even a widow with two cents can make a difference in the hands of God. It's not about weak. It's not about how much money. You are so much more than that. You are so much more of a blessing to this world than just the money that you've got. It's, it's exactly what Jesus was teaching about in uh, a famous uh, scripture uh, in Matthew chapter 10. Look what he says. Are, you not, are, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So... Don't be afraid, you are worth more than many sparrows. Now listen to this. He's not saying you're worth many pennies. <laughs> He's saying, look, they get cared for, and that's all they are. You are worth so much more to God. You're the apple of his eye, the prize of his creation. You are defined by far more than the resources and the money that you have. Third principle. Only that which is submitted to God receives his blessing. And your reason is, you know why? Because whatever we don't submit to God, any part of us, we're basically saying, I don't want you to be involved in that, God, so the blessing doesn't come. It's not magic. It's not hocus pocus. God doesn't have anything to do with that. It, it's, it's, it's a matter of, you know, if I want God's blessing then I need to, on my whole life, then I need to have my whole life in with him. I need to be all the way in with him resources, money, whatever it is, my talents, treasures, all of who I am, my experiences, all of that needs to be in with him. See, uh, C.S. Lewis <clears throat> said something uh, about eternity that was, I thought was interesting. Well, actually, it, has, it starts with life now. He says, you know, right now, during while we're walking on terra firma, God says, uh, you know, you have the opportunity to tell me that you want my will in your life. In other words, your will be done, just like Jesus said. Remember that? And he says, if I say that, then in heaven, then uh, God says, my will will be done for you. But if I spend my life going, no, 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 you know, and even part, if it's part, it's, it's, it's all of this. If I go spend my life saying, no, nah, you know, my will be done. Then, God, then he says, in eternity, God's going to say, okay, your will be done, which means I'm, I don't have my hands on any of it. Now, please understand me, please, 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 please. I'm not saying if you don't give that you're going to hell. I am not saying that. That has to do with other things where, where you spend eternity. But what I am saying is, is you will not have God's full blessing in your life that he wants to give you. You will not find the contentment that God wants to give you if all of life isn't in under his protection and submitted to him. Because it's really his anyway. If there's not this good confession of acknowledgement that it's really yours anyway, thank you for letting me use this and live this and so forth. If there's not somewhere in your life where that happens, then, you know, you're not going to experience his blessing all the way around. And probably the most famous verse of that is in the Old Testament, some place called Malachi uh, 3.10, which is, happens to be talking about the money side of things because it talks about the tithe, but look at this. He says, bring the whole tithe into the uh, storehouse, which is a tenth of what you have, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. He's saying in their day, those days, it was the, the temple of the Lord, but of course, we're not talking about a building being the house of God now. We're saying, God's saying, bring it all into my storehouse. In other words, bring it all that you are under my protection, and I will bless you beyond what you can imagine. 
I will give you a life that you didn't know could happen. I will, give you, I will work th- out circumstances. You will have contentment regardless of the circumstances, like we talked about last week. I, you know, that's what he's promised he will do. But in order for that to happen, you've got to do the fourth principle. You've got to pre-decide. If you're giving money to God, you've got to pre-decide. If you're going to give cookies to your neighbor, you've got to pre-decide. Every area of life, you've got to pre-decide. But in our resources, who would make an investment without deciding ahead of time how much to make? Right? So you pre-decide. Because I guarantee you, if you don't pre-decide, you will either not be doing anything with that or you will be doing far less than you would normally, than you want to do. Let's put it that way. And so here's, here's the best financial advice, the best financial manager to ever walk the planet in a little talk that he gave called the Sermon on the Mount. Look at this. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy. I know specifically he's talking about moles there in vermin. (laughs) And where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That makes total sense, doesn't it? And if it wasn't about our money, or if we wouldn't didn't think about our money, we would not have any problem with that. It makes total sense. Which also means the fifth principle makes total sense. And that is this. Everywhere you look in the Bible, again, I can only say what the Bible says. Everywhere you look in the Bible, God asks for a tithe, that tenth thing we talked about. Now, the reason I bring this up is because I know there's a lot of talk among Christians today is, you know, is, does the Old Testament principles apply to the New Testament? Uh, well, first of all, let's understand the Old Testament tithe was a tenth of their income, a tenth of their possessions, really, that they would give to God each year. And, and that was a way, it's very clear from Scripture, like places like Deuteronomy, that when they gave the tithe, they were saying, God, I'm giving you my whole life. Thank you for letting me live on the 90, but I know it's all yours anyway. It's all there. So it was more symbolic in that way, but it was a tenth. Now, if you look at the Old Testament laws and rules and the things that the people of Israel did, they were really giving to God more like 25, or I mean 22, 23, 24 percent. More like, you know, uh, you know uh, instead of the giving God a, a tenth, they were giving God a fifth. So if you want to give God a fifth, go ahead. That's, that's fine. Do the math. It's a, it's a joke. But, okay. So, so the tenth... Is, is, is sort of the target. It's, it's the thing God says, I, I, you know, the, this, it, it gives you a way to, and if, you, if you've never done that, if you don't know about that, talk to somebody who has. You talk to me, you can talk to people on leadership team, you talk, talk you know, just say, hey, how did that work for you? How did how'd that go? I mean, how did it work? I mean, Dave Ramsey talks about it. He would be the first to say he's not divine, but he's got good device on it, advice on it. I mean, giving God that is that way. But, but here's the thing. That's the Old Testament. People say, well, it doesn't even talk about the tithe in the New Testament. Well, the problem is it does talk about the tenth three times. Two of the times, granted, are the same story in Matthew and Luke of Jesus, and the other time is in the book of Hebrews. Let me, let me show you what Jesus says when he's, again, talking to the Pharisees. He, he, he makes them speechless again. Verse 42 of Luke chapter 11, woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs. That was sort of their wealth there, I guess. But you neglect justice and love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. So in other words, he, he says, you know, you should have, yeah, you should have done the tithe, but you should have also loved God and, and, and cared about people and stuff like that. That's, that's all a part of the whole, you see? And, and what, what we need to... Uh, to, to understand here is that, that throughout the rest of the New Testament, nobody disavows of this teaching of Jesus. Nobody. Nowhere. So some people say, well, this is pre-crucifixion, so it's Old Testament. No, 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 no. I, I, don't, I don't buy that theologically anyway. But even if you did, nobody disavows it. And, 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 and when you get to Hebrews chapter 4, here's what it says. And it's all about the blessing of God in our lives, okay? Hebrews chapter 4 is a little bit of a complicated dis- argue, uh, I mean, uh, discussion because it's an Old Testament illustration from when Abraham had uh, been in, he and his tribe had been kind of in a battle and they'd gotten a bunch of spoils. And in the process of that, he had worked with a guy named Melchizedek, 
who was a king of a, a local city, but he also was a spiritual man. He, he was also obviously a priest of Yahweh, priest of God, the high priest, it calls him. And so in, in Hebrews, it says, what Abraham did is he gave Melchizedek a tenth of the spoils of that. Why did he do that? Because he wanted to honor him as, you know, God's representative and, 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 and honor him in that way. But then the writer of Hebrews says, but we've got the real, we've got the real high priest now. His name is Jesus. So it's just using that illustration. It's not, again, it doesn't force it. It doesn't do anything. It just says, why wouldn't you want to give God something that symbolizes your whole entire life? So that's all, all, all the discussion is. And that's all it is. And, and so leaving the personal principles aside, you probably have any question, well, does our church follow that? And the answer is yes, we do. We follow those principles. And you, it's a legitimate thing to ask, is, um, is our church following uh, you know, a whole, all of that we are putting it in God's hands kind of thing? Yes, we are. We're seeking to do it. We're not perfect at it. Nobody's perfect at this, but, and, you know, nobody's expecting you to be perfect at this. But, but you know, listening to the Holy Spirit, listening to God to put it in, and because here's the evidence that I'm seeing. Our church is making a difference around here. I've told people about this, several people. Maybe I've said it up front. There's so many sermons this guy talks about. I can't remember everything he says. But anyway, I, uh, up until about six months ago, for the previous year, year and a half, every four to six weeks, I would have at least one person, um, and sometimes it was twice a month, one person come up to me. Sometimes it was in the lobby, but most of the time it was when I was out at Starbucks or at the store or seeing some people around somewhere else around here. People would come up to me and say, hey, when I came to your church, God changed my life, or you guys are really making a difference in this town. One of the last times it happened was almost spooky for a guy like me. Probably not like you because you're more mature in these things than I am maybe. But he, came, he ran out of one of these local grocery stores here just up the street. And he was a young guy. He said, my mom and I have been coming to Eastridge for about eight months. And I was thinking about this the other day. And God told me that there was something I needed to tell you. And now I saw you today, so I'm going to tell you right now. I said, okay. He said, why is that? And he said, well, we're moving to... It's down south, I think it was Arizona or something. So I, I probably won't see you again, but I, I, I know he told me to tell you this. I said, well, what is it? He said, he told me to tell you you're making a difference in this city. You're making a difference in this town. And I take the you as you. Yeah, it was like, okay, that's a really most awesome thing I've ever heard, God. You're not going to, like, drop a rock on me right now, are you? I mean, it's, it's like, this isn't like it. I'm supposed to be content with my life. No, that's a cynical, silly side, but. But that's happened to me over and over and over again, people saying stuff like that. And, and, and as I look at it, you know what? They're right. And, and that's what I want everybody to go out of here. All today, I want everybody to go out of here knowing the, the, the truth of this. My church is making a difference, therefore I can make a difference there too. Everybody has a shot. Everybody has a play. And everybody's just as important as anybody else. Just ask the widow with the two cents. Right? Everybody. It all counts. And so you might say, well, well how, are, how is the leadership of this church uh, living that out? Well, this is sort of a slow roll over the course of this, this series. But I'm just going to tell you real quick, that we have a vision uh, uh, statement or vision plan uh, for the next you know, five years or so that we biblically discern some things and we're praying. It's, it's not complete. It's not, like, it's not like scripture that it can't be changed, but we can see that God's leading us in some very specific areas that he's developed over the last couple of years. And let me just show you our vision statement right now. You'll be hearing this more and more over the next few years. Here it is. The vision statement is this. We will take every opportunity to show gospel love to lost people. What is that? Gospel love is the love of the gospel. Like Jesus said, love one another as I've loved you. Why did he do that? To show us love because we were lost without him. And secondly, to partner with Jesus in making resilient disciples. Again, there's that word. Resilient disciples that going into the future are irrepressible. They can't be knocked down. They can't be stopped. Why? Because of the power of the Spirit and the work of Jesus Christ in their life. And they're together and they're holding each other up and they're helping each other. That kind of resilient disciple is what we're talking about. You see, God's intent for his church is real clear. You can look at it all through the New Testament. There's verse upon verse upon verse that clearly states what God's plan is for this world post-Jesus' ascension into heaven. And here it is. 
I mean, for, for example, a verse like this, Ephesians chapter 3. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, as all across the world and even in heaven, even, even in the spiritual realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, the scriptures say that the angels are looking over and they, they long to see what, what's going on down here because God's at work. He's all in, all around we see. And his intent is to do all that stuff through the church. Other Christian organizations, that's great, that's awesome, but it supports the church. It supports the work of the church just like the Holy Spirit supports Jesus, and it's the spirit that works in the church to bring it about, to get the, new, new, the good news spread all over the planet, all over the world. That's the intent of God. That's God's plan A. There is no plan B, at least there hasn't been one told to us in the last 2,000 years. So that's a clue phone that this is it. This is how God's going to do it. And so out of that, we've sort of biblically discerned what our mission is. And, and the mission that God gives all Christians, gives every church, is that Jesus said it just before he ascended into heaven. He says, go into all the world and make disciples. Right? Remember that? And, 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 so, and he says, I'll be with you in that. My spirit will be with you in that. So that's, that's what the purpose is. But how, how has God distinctly called Eastridge Church to do that? Well, we've, we've delineated three distinctives for us. Three things that, that, that are, are, are significant that we think that God is calling us into. One is building community. Another one is uh, biblically reasoned faith. And another one is being compelled by the love of Christ. Let me just take those three real quick and tell you how those are getting will be defined out in the coming years. Here we go. Building community. This is something that we've discerned uh, recently. We will have discipling life groups that build relationships throughout the east side metro area. That's a specific goal right there. Life groups from the mothership. Is it okay to call the church the mothership? I don't know. I just did. So you've you got life groups going around. And then we'll see what happens. It could be that some of those resilient disciple-making life groups might be called by God to come together in certain places and form new congregations and so forth. And, and you know, if you're, if you're from downtown Portland, we do have some people that live in, in Portland proper. You know, we, I tease about Portland a lot, but I love you guys because I would really love to see something happen down there. Not saying you have to all move there. Don't leave me. But, you know, that's life groups is the way where, where you, because you can't just, you can't really experience all that God is. You can't experience the difference making in, a, in, a, in rows. You, you have to get in circles and get next to each other. Just like this next one, biblically reasoned faith. We will be good stewards as a church of the giftings and distinctives God has given us in our church. The reason life groups is important in that is because you can't just reason your faith and sit all by yourself and just reason, reason, reason. There's a faith component where you got to live it out, you got to have others help you live it out, and you got to see it in their lives, right? That's the whole point of that. And, and just like human beings all have these sets of giftings that God gives them just what they need to have to fulfill the purpose he has for their lives, the same is true of churches. I firmly believe that God's brought everybody here to our church that needs to be here in order for us to live out God's blessed purpose for our church. And thirdly, and this is the, one I, this is the phrase I want to start having pop up in your head when you think about what's Eastridge Church about. It's compelled by Christ's love. The way we're defining that is that first thing in quotes, we will go to them as opposed to they can just come to us. You know, they got to walk in the door before we're going to do it. No, we'll go to them. That's what Jesus did. That was what the love of Jesus did, and we're compelled by him to do that. Now, let me just def define these down to what's happening right now in your church, and we'll pick this up uh, a little bit next week. But one more thing I want to tell you, and that is every person who comes through the door at Eastridge Church, and the door is in quotes because it could be that door, it could be men's group, women's group, it could be a life group, uh, it could be a relationship where somebody's having coffee or one of the other at Starbucks or one of the other bazillion um, coffee shops in Portland or wherever it is. And, and something happens, the spirit works, and, and everybody comes in those kinds of doors, you become a part of Eastridge Church. Here's what needs to happen. Number one, they should sense that they can make a difference as a partner in Jesus. And that experience where you sense that you can make a difference as a partner in Jesus starts best in a life group. 
That's why we're making a big deal about these life groups, because you can hear it in your head, take it with you, not see anybody else the rest of the week. And, and, and it's hard to live that. It's just it's impossible to live disconnected like that. And so because of that, the first point of our vision going forward is our vision begins with bringing on someone to pastor those life groups and our gifted shepherd leaders. Chris Green has, has developed, uh, gathered a bunch of uh, shepherd leaders for our life groups. But we need somebody to be in here to help take this further, okay? And here's the thing. Uh, it's time, folks. You've lived with one pastor long enough. You're getting spread pretty thin. <laughs> so it's time. It's just time. And, 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 and that being the case, we're going to need some people to increase what they predecide to give a little bit or to predecide to give it all in order to make it sustainable, okay? But that's the goal. That's the hope. That's the good news. That's the, uh, not that good news. That's, that's the new news. That's the news flash. That's our goal is to hire a pastor to oversee those life groups. We have somebody in mind, but if you're in a small group or you're in a life group, you're going to hear about that soon. I'll just leave that alone. But that's the reality of who we are. I'm going to call the band out here, and I'm going to ask you to do one thing. And it has to do with what I asked you to do last week, only this week you have a little different context. And that is, would you just take all of this home, take one of those sheets, read through it, read the scripture, um, if, if, if that needs to happen. But pray. Talk to your family. Talk to your friends. And say, God... Pray big. God, am I doing everything? Have I put all myself in with you because I want all that you are in my life? I want to receive that blessing. I want it all under your protection and submit it all to you. Am I doing that? And just see what he says. And here's the wonderful thing. The Holy Spirit is much more gentle with us than we are with ourselves, way better than any preacher is going to tell you. Okay? And so just pray that out because here's the thing. I want us all to know that regardless of what it is that we're talking about stewarding, all of us can make a difference when we put all we are in the hands of Jesus. Let me pray with you. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, and our merciful Lord Jesus, our, who loves us more than we can understand or think, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this church. And I thank you for the fact that you've invited us in on what you're up to. And I thank you for every single blessing all the names of those blessings that are sitting here today or down the hall. I just thank you for the blessing, that, the treasure that is them. And I thank you that we get to be friends. And I thank you that we get to be your friends and participating and making a difference in this community, in this world, in this town, in families, homes. May we remember that you're up to something much, much bigger than we see in the front page or here in the news or on the radio every day that you are at work, that you love us, and you will get that your promises fulfilled. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for being here. And as we go to communion today, would you just go deep into our hearts and remind us of who we are, but what that means about who you are in us. We give you the praise and the glory for that. It's in your name we pray. Amen.